0: talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML.
1: Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Lisa Polesky is in the newsroom. Will Weber is on the board. The Prime Minister paints all the Freedom Convoy with the same brush. Then why are so many Canadians angry?
0: Here's Scott Thompson! I just like it. Turn it up. I just like it. I remember being a kid in the 70s watching Will and Sonny and their big green Kenworth. Meryl Haggard. Uh, good afternoon. It is 3.08. It is Hamilton Today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Weber on the board in the newsroom. Lisa Poleski. Feel free to jump into the fun. We would love to hear from you. Uh, and you know what? Let's you know continue on for where we did on Friday, if you want, and your thoughts at what progressed over the weekend in Ottawa. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, the Prime Minister, again, seemingly painting them uh, all with the same brush. Uh, and, and, and pointing to, uh, you know, uh, uh, Nazi flags and a Confederate flag and, 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 you know, jumping up and down on the, uh, the tomb of the unknown soldier and, and uh, putting a flag around Terry Fox and putting a hat on his head and uh, the statue of Terry Fox and, and, you know, putting a sign, a placard in his hand. Uh, you know the way I, I I thought everybody was talking. I thought they they had John A. McDonald. This um, um, I thought they had painted red paint all over them and then pushed it into uh, pushed the statue into the or onto the frozen Rito. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, and interesting to see uh, that. You know, as the prime minister paints all of these people with the same brush, also on Twitter, and you'll also see this on our, uh, on our website on, on the story of these protests. Uh, That uh, as soon as they went up, there were other people there that, uh, you know, took the Canadian flag off of the Terry Fox statue and uh, and removed the hat and cleaned the statue up, per se. So, you know, to paint everybody with the same brush here, um, I don't think is accurate. And uh, I I think this, again, just, you know, we're 90 percent of us are vaccinated and yet we're still beating the bejeebers out of this small group that is isn't and you know like w- what more can we do how many more can we get vaccinated uh and as far as the healthcare system uh if we've got 10,000 people in hospital in a country of 38 million people and it's crippled we got we got some work to do there and let's not confuse that with you know a couple of morons at a-, 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 a protest and a- a- and we know the stories of the organizers we know all of that i mean we've been hearing it um but we're only hearing from the fringe elements of this. Uh, y- you know, there's and Ken Mann went out on the street, uh, our our reporter here and, and interviewed the people that were standing watching this protest when it came through this area. You know, and, and they're not a bunch of racist, uh, misogynistic people. It, you know, it, it's like uh, it's like Hillary Clinton calling everybody a deplorable who doesn't agree with her. And again, I, you know, I, I don't agree with anti-vaxxers. You know, I'm fully vaccinated and and everybody should be. It, it's good for you. <laughs> it, will, it will help you if you get sick. And I got sick and I got out the other side, just like the prime minister did. Uh, and Aaron O'Toole earlier on in all of this. Uh, and and I'm hoping like the prime minister says he's fine. He's feeling great. But, you know, the family's got it. It's gone through the two, two, two of his kids have tested positive. Um And, you know, he's he's uh doing his virtual parliament thing here today. We're watching. And, um, you know, he 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 appears to be fine. So obviously with his fully vaccination and his booster, he's he's doing well with it. Well, maybe he'll stop the fear mongering then. Maybe once he gets this or has it and comes out the other side, relatively unscathed like the rest of us, unscathed rather than than the rest of us, or like the rest of us, you know, hopefully he'll stop dividing the country on it. You know, we should be celebrating we have 90% of the population vaccinated. We shouldn't be beating up the neighbors that don't. And they're not all as they're painted to be here. Some of them are genuinely fearful. Some of them, some of them just won't do it. So you know, in a in a country where we're obviously moving on, as we talked about this yes uh, last week, Doctor Kieran Moore and Doctor Bonnie Henry said, "Got to learn to live with it." You know, Doug Ford came out over the weekend, "Got to learn to live with it." And of course, the opposition, "Well, they're they're flip flopping." They're... No, we're evolving as a vaccinated society. Can we get on with life? Can we stop picking on our neighbors who don't share the same opinion as us? Is that really necessary? You know, and again, I think it's, you know, the prime minister is is a divisive person. And he's created division, even though our vaccine rate is successful. We shouldn't be having these discussions. We shouldn't be having these arguments. We should be having the discussions and debates. But we—why does it get to this point? You know, he goes on a Quebec radio show and calls people misogynistic and racist who are anti vaxxers and then and then wonders why people get inflamed. You know, he, he's poking the bear, then runs away and goes, "Why? Why is the bear attacking?" And he does this with lots of different issues, just because people don't necessarily agree with him. And there are a lot of people protesting who are fully vaxxed. So to dismiss all of these people as the same, you know, these are guys that were just from January 6th in Washington. That's who that was. You know, I mean, come on, come on. And here's, you know, I'm hoping that the prime minister and his family have a speedy recovery from from COVID-19. His wife's already had it, but hopefully this tones down the rhetoric, tones down the temperature. And the prime minister will learn to live with it like everybody else, come out the other end, fully vaccinated and fine. So why are we picking on our neighbors who don't agree with us? We're moving on from this. It's time to turn down the temperature. And the rhetoric. We've certainly known, even before the pandemic, uh, that Hamilton was certainly trending up as a city and uh, continues to be a popular choice for newcomers and also those leaving from the larger cities. Uh, help increasing the city's population, the area, 812,000, recently reported by Stats Canada. Uh, What is it that makes the hammer so attractive now? Let's bring in Sarah Whalen, Senior Project Manager for Hamilton Immigration Partnership Council, and with us now. Sarah, thanks for the time. I hope you're well.
2: I am well. Thanks, Scott, for having me.
0: You know, I remember uh, a few decades ago when when things were uh, weren't as rosy in Hamilton and, and thinking, my goodness, areas are exploding around us. It's it's just p- through pure geographics. It's got to it's got to come here soon. And we, we certainly did see that even well before the uh, uh, the pandemic. What what is it? And well, let's uh, let's start pre pandemic and then we'll see if it's changed post. But what is it even before the pandemic that that really started uh, having? putting Hamilton on the map for for a lot of people.
2: Yeah, well, Hamilton went through its uh, tough patches, as you'll well recall, but kind of went through those earlier than some of our surrounding municipalities did. And uh, Mm -hmm. we went through a tough patch, and now Hamilton has a lot of the pieces in place, like a very diversified economy and strong post-secondary institutions and um, good green spaces, the types of um, uh, amenities that people look for when they're looking to settle in a community. So Hamilton kind of has it all. It has the, the benefits of living in a larger city without it being too large and congested and where things get to be a pain to, to do. And it has also that kind of small town feel because of the mm. strength of the neighborhoods and how the city is so spread out
0: so has this been a, a pretty steady increase over the last few decades or have you seen in recently, for example, it really taking off or, and what would you attribute that to it or has this been just a, a consistent climb?
2: It's a bit of both. I think my area of expertise is more around people coming from overseas mm-hmm. to live in Hamilton. So in terms of the immigrant population, um, the hard data we have shows that people were coming to other parts of the GTA first, often, increasingly, and then relocating to the Hamilton area. And Mm -hmm. that would be because of affordability, I believe, and also because of different economic opportunities here. Um, McMaster and Mohawk are a big draw for newcomers, for immigrants and their families. Sometimes if somebody's going to post-secondary education, the whole family will move and buy a house and stay with their child while they pursue post-secondary. But uh, lately, um, it's kind of interesting. During the pandemic, of course, immigration went way down because the right. borders were closed and it was hard to travel. But what we're seeing at the as of the end of 2021 is it looks like a lot of newcomers are coming directly to Hamilton. Um, the new permanent residents were coming coming here directly.
0: That's a a fascinating uh, angle to this, because, again, I I guess it's very common for when people immigrate to a a certain area, they're going to go to the largest center, uh, you know, at first and and then branch out from there. But why do you think Hamilton is now becoming a first destination? Obviously, uh, the message is getting out that this, you know, is a good place to start.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think the word is getting out. Uh, people immigrate largely for economic opportunity. So that means that they see something that's mm-hmm. here in Hamilton that they can attain. Also, they're looking at affordability um, and existing connections. So when people come to a city the size of Hamilton, they often already know somebody who's here. Like they have family here, they have right. friends here, um, or some kind of connection. They've they've heard of it um, So those are those would be the most the most common reasons. But if you look at that data I was referring to from late 2021, those are landing. So those are people who become permanent residents. And we know that because of the pandemic restrictions that actually a lot of those people were already living in Canada and probably Mm. already in Hamilton. They've just changed their status. So that's that's good because it means we're not receiving tons of new people all at once but they're already here but they've made a commitment to be here more permanently
0: it'll be fascinating to see what happens in the next year or so as you know hopefully things uh, go to back to some sort of sense of normal and and then we really see immigration numbers get back to where they were prior to the pandemic how how the choices are for Hamilton then
2: yeah but immigration to Canada as a whole is going up. So the federal government has set these. But as you mentioned, it's been
0: as you mentioned, it's been low because of of uh, the pandemic. Once things start to flow again, it'll be fascinating to see how how Hamilton fares.
2: I agree. We're always looking for more information than the latest data. And uh, I'd be happy to share it with you when we get it.
0: So, uh, obviously, with uh, COVID-19, it has, you know, slowed things down. It has, you know, put a stick in the spokes for a lot of people for a lot of different things. But you're still seeing some really healthy growth. That's that, That's got to be really reassuring.
2: Yeah, it, uh, it's a good thing for Hamilton. It's good news. Um, we're embedded in economic development d- division of the city of Hamilton. And uh, we see that immigration is really key to Hamilton's ongoing population growth but also to filling a lot of the gaps in the labor market that we experience you know at all levels of employment
0: and you know when you think of it sarah like it always has i mean you know it's always been it's always been a healthy immigrant community it's it's been that way forever
2: you're so right you're so right
0: Sarah Whalen with a senior project manager for Hamilton Immigration Partnership Council. You know, when we hear about the uh, city increasing in size, it's large, you know, we hear lots about coming in from uh, other cities, large cities in Canada, but uh, it's also a, uh, a focal point for those emigre- immigrating from other parts of the world. Hamilton uh, getting the nod there as well. Sarah, thanks for the time. Good luck with all this moving forward.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. <laughs>
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. As you may have noticed, WKRP in Cincinnati was the theme we played uh, coming in. Howard Hessman who uh, of course was dr johnny fever on the show uh has passed away and you know uh we know him more for that character but uh he did a few things on television and was a staple including on head of the class let's bring in bill uh bill brio tv critic and author he is with us now bill thank you for the time i hope you're doing well doing fine
3: scott how are you doing
0: I'm doing very good, except it's a drag, you know, when you think about, oh, man, here's another person that's passed away. But I guess we're getting, you know, of that age uh, where where this sort of thing starts to happen. Why was this show successful? I mean, you know, I remember one person saying many, many years ago, and I mean, obviously, those of us in radio find it fascinating because it's centered around a radio station. But this is like any office sitcom it could be you know it could have been situated in a insurance office could have been in a newsroom could have been in a, a radio station it sort of centers around that group of people who work together why did this one work
3: well I think because it was set at a top 40 radio station so it, the original broadcast from 78 to 82 you heard uh you know Prince you heard Michael Jackson Bruce yeah. Springsteen you and all that music Queen you know and and the the record companies treated this show like a, a radio station they would send them the new releases ahead of time and videos records <laughs> broke wow. on this show you know so there was that wrinkle which was kind of cool uh it also came back to kind of bite them in the butt later when they tried to uh, syndicate it and found out they didn't have the rights to these musics forever and yeah couldn't put the dvds out with the right music and everything but there was just something about that uh rock station that uh i mean i was at university at the time so me and my buddies were watching this uh every week for sure
0: uh, and what about the character, Dr. Johnny Fever, who uh, was obviously the uh, sort of burnt out morning man uh, of the show amongst, uh, you know, a, a cast of characters. Uh, but but he, he was pretty much a central figure, wasn't he?
3: He sure was. And it was a smart move. Hugh Wilson, who created the show, hired him. He was in an improv group called The Committee before that. You used to see him on oh the Smothers Brothers. Uh, it was a pretty good improv troupe. And, um, you know, Wilson admitted that as they went along on the series, the scripts really weren't always ready on time. And for Hespen, they would just write, you know, Hespen ad-libs here. And so <laughs> you see him, you know, goofing around, uh, hey babies, you know, doing the rock DJ talk. Yeah. Which he kind of <laughs> yeah. knew he had worked at, at a radio station. And uh, he improvised a lot of that and really helped hold the show together, I think.
0: I'll never forget uh, one of the favorite episodes. Uh, you know, I, I swear I, I thought turkeys could fly when they did <laughs> yeah. the Thanksgiving uh, 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 promotion and they started throwing live turkeys out of a uh, of a uh, heli- out of a helicopter. And John, they're all in the studio, and Johnny Fever's on the air, and uh, you hear this uh, remote start with uh, with Les Nessman and then things just go horribly wrong and you wonder what is going on and immediately Johnny grabs the mic and says, uh, you know, the whatever shopping mall is being bombed by live turkeys filmed at 11. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it just, uh, it, it, the timing was perfect.
3: It was and uh, there was something about Hespin. He had a very relaxed, uh, fearless yeah. style, you know, and he was playing a hippie, basically, who, uh, you know, obviously a stoner although at the time yeah. you could not show him Getting high on on uh, television, uh, you know, Hugh Wilson again told me when I interviewed him years ago that he would write in scenes where he would be waving smoke out of the, uh, you know, the booth where he was recording, and CBS wouldn't let him keep it in. He had to cut all of that stuff. But you knew, really, Johnny was, yeah, yeah, no, it's you I mean, we all imagine we have this image of him like yeah. basically smoking up on the air. Never happened, you know. But you knew Johnny Fever was, you know, getting high somehow, right? And other characters uh, on the show became
0: their own characters. And, and I can think of uh, one example of Lonnie Anderson. I mean, she went from being the, the receptionist on this show to uh, a poster pinup girl.
3: Oh, absolutely. You know, she took over for sure in terms of star power. None of the cast really was well known. You know, you had Gordon uh, mm-hmm. Jump might have been the best known uh, he was, uh, you know, the Maytag repairman for a while. Uh, but Jan Smithers was somebody on the, he was yeah. in a picture in Time magazine of her on the back of a motorcycle. And that's where Hugh Wilson kind of cast her. Richard Sanders, uh, Gary Sandy had been on soap operas. Uh, Frank Bonner, no one had heard of him, but he was unforgettable. Yeah. as Herb Tarlick, the the, the station sales manager. So the eight of them that were there, Frank Reed, another one, um, they just, became indelible and uh, that those characters carried every episode.
0: Uh, And do all shows like this have like a five-year shelf span? I mean, is that it? I mean, once they've done that, they've run the gamut. There's nothing more to do.
3: Yeah, you know, it didn't even make it to five. It it ran four. And then uh, about a decade later, they brought it back as the new WKRP with some of the characters. Um, You know, I I don't know if it, it, the show was from MTM, you know, Mary Tyler Moore. So you'd watch them make the Mary Tyler Moore show and Bob Newhart, and they were on a roll. Yeah. WKRP came later. It was videotaped for an audience. looked a little different. Um, but uh, could it have run longer? I don't know. It's a good question that the stories, and I've watched them all, and I have the box set of this series. Um, the stories got weirder and a little farther out as the show went along. So it was kind yeah. of running out of gas in some ways. So where
0: is the new version of this? Where is the crowd, the young kids that are all working for some social media Facebook startup?
3: Oh, my goodness. I mean, that's a good question. I, I don't know. Um, obviously, it's on a streaming service. There's 550 new shows starting every year that are scripted on huh? American-Canadian television. So, wow. uh, uh, you know, it, it's hard to keep track Um so I tell you, there's a show coming up that Will Arnett is doing uh, in February. And it's, I don't know if you saw Only Murders in the Building with uh, Martin Short and Steve Martin. But this new genre of murder mysteries that are comedies is is something that's a thing suddenly. And uh, you've got Will Arnett is doing one. And the premise is he's investigating murders and he's partnered with somebody every episode who's different. So usually a a celebrity of some sort. Sharon Stone is one of them. They're not told what the ending is or given any lines. They're literally improvising with Will Arnett, who has the narrative, and they have to figure out, like the audience, who committed the murder by the end of the episode. Wow. So this is a roundabout way of answering your question, Scott, but it's sort of, I think with WKRP, one of the things I liked about it is it seemed half improvised. It was very loose. Mm. They shot it quickly in 90 minutes. They they did one take of everything, and Hesman was doing a lot of improv, and it was kind of a hybrid for some of the stuff that we're seeing now.
0: Bill Brio with us, TV critic, uh, talking about the life of Howard Hessman, WKRP in Cincinnati, who has passed away. Bill, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. You too.
3: Take start, Scott.
0: We were talking to Phil Gursky just prior to the weekend uh, about the impending uh, Freedom Convoy uh, making its way to Ottawa. Let's bring him back in for uh, a post wrap up. Phil Gursky, president of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, director of the University of Ottawa Security Program and former CSIS analyst and is with us now. Phil, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am
4: well. How are you, Scott?
0: I'm doing good, thanks so much. So we were talking about this uh, before the weekend, and you had some concerns and such. As you've seen this all transpire, and obviously there's still residue remnants of, of the protests still going on, what are your thoughts of what you saw over the course of the weekend?
4: Well, you know, disruptions notwithstanding, it seems to have gone well. I use that term, you know, cautiously. To the best of my knowledge, there have been no overt acts of violence. There's been some you know, behavior that I would call insulting, like on the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, on the Terry Fox statue and in the market, but it hasn't descended into violence that may, that some people feared would happen. So that's a good thing. And, and, and kudos to Ottawa Police and their partners for keeping tabs on things and making sure that at least to date, so far so good, let's keep our fingers crossed it remains that way.
0: Uh, Obviously, as we talked about last week, uh, whenever you have a rally, it seems that those that you don't necessarily invite or want there show up um do we know any more about the fabric of this group is it all for you know is it fringe elements are there fringe elements ma- mixed in with mainstream elements you know like i was i was watching the video on the statue of, of terry fox and of course he had a a flag draped over him and at one point i think a hat on his head and carrying a placard and then the next uh, feed i saw on social media there was uh people cleaning him up and and uh and and, and and getting rid of the flag and, and the hat and such. Uh, how do you dissect what this crowd is all about?
4: I think it's a real dog's breakfast. So we know that the original convoy was, you know, truckers who were upset with the U.S. vaccine mandate across the border, wanted to make, you know, try to overturn that. Then we heard voices of people who wanted to go further, weren't happy with the Liberal government, weren't happy with the crackdowns, the shutdowns, etc. And you're right, Scott, I think when these things happen that, People do take advantage of being part of a larger crowd to voice their own opinions and causes. I've seen reports of some Proud Boys, which, you know, back a year ago last January, they uh, listed as a terrorist entity in Canada. I don't don't agree with that. It's a whole other story. But I think there have been a bunch of disparate actors that want to make their point. And and so it's kind of confusing, End of the day what the point is. What is the actual purpose of this thing? And I think it's multiple purposes depending on the actors involved.
0: Uh, what about the, you know, you talked about there's there's some incidents in, 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 you know, after it's all over, we're hearing about, you know, Nazi flags, Confederate flags, uh, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, uh, obviously the Terry Fox uh, statue. And, and, you know, I must admit, Phil, when, uh, uh, you know, I heard about this and when they were defacing monuments, I was thinking it's like a John A. McDonald, there's red paint on it and something's going to end up in the Rideau Canal. But honestly, considering what this was hyped to be, it doesn't really. Other than people getting their feelings hurt and names being called, it doesn't really turn. It doesn't really seem to turn out to be the threat that that some were thinking it would be.
4: It's a really good point you've made, Scott, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. And this is why I push back against some people, including the public safety minister, who warned about the possible violent overthrow of the Canadian government. Now, look. You know, did he receive intelligence from my former colleagues at CSIS or the RCMP, whatever? Perhaps. I don't have access to intelligence anymore. Trust me, I wish I did. But for him, if it, that statement was made without access to intelligence that was saying that, I, I sort of wonder why it was made. You know, again, I, I don't like to disrespect, but I think you, you, your point is well taken that at, at worst so far, again, fingers crossed, this seems to be an, um, a boorish, in some ways, disrespectful bunch of people. It was not a serious threat to our democracy. It was not a serious threat to our government. And I don't like the language of that is used. So I, still, I mean, it remains to be seen, Scott. I mean, they haven't all gone home yet. But so we'll see yeah. what happens. The police have been very restrained so far in terms of their actions. They have a duty to uphold the law. If there are violations of the criminal code, they, can, they have the authority to arrest people and that lead charges. But let's not go down that chicken little the sky is falling at the same time because it hasn't so far. And, and I'm cautiously optimistic it won't go that down that road
0: uh today the prime minister came out and spoke uh very openly and 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 obviously uh uh, talked how disappointed he was we all were in the actions of a few uh but still appeared to be painting them all with the same brush is he doing enough to cool the temperatures to diffuse all of this because again i come back to my goodness we got 90 percent vaccinated and we're still picking on our neighbors i don't get it
4: yeah, I, I'm disappointed in the prime minister as well. At, at least the opposition member uh, Aaron O'Toole met with some of them. And, and look, at Scott, Scott I'm politically centrist. I don't. I'm not conservative or liberal. But I think that the prime minister should have at least agreed to speak with some of the self, self-appointed self leaders of this, of this movement to at least have a conversation with them. I agree that painting them all with the same brush for the reasons we just discussed, there are disparate elements. There are people that had nothing to do with the truckers and that have latched on to this particular demonstration and calling them all the same thing I think is inaccurate from, from an intelligence perspective. You know, I worked in a, 32 years at Intel. You want to be accurate in your analysis and you can't say, well, they're all the same thing if they're not. And so I think you should have done a better job. I don't know how we, who he was briefed by, whether there's another gender out there. I don't want to go down that road, but I think the message thing from the government could have been better in this regard. And and, and they got, and they own that because we elect them for a reason to govern us. And I think they have to do a better job at, at trying to assess what the what situations are and what the actual level of threat is at the end of the day.
0: Phil Gursky with us, President of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, Director of the University of Ottawa Security Program, and former CSIS analyst. Phil, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. You too, Scott. Take care. If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve into the issue until he is. You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML. To anyone who joined the convoy but is rightly uncomfortable with the symbols of hatred and division on display, join with your fellow Canadians. Be courageous and speak out. Do not stand for or with
5: intolerance and hate.
0: Prime Minister speaking earlier on today in regard to uh, those that, uh, uh, I guess, protested in Ottawa. We saw uh, latter part of uh, last week, uh, truckers coming from virtually all points of the country and uh, ending up in Ottawa as we saw, you know, the convoy pass through this area as well and still straggling and hanging on in Ottawa as well. Let's bring in Mercedes Stevenson, Ottawa Bureau Chief for Global News, uh, Global National and is with us now, host of the West Block Two. Mercedes, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well in all of this.
1: Thank you. I am. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. So uh, let's start with happened over the weekend and then we'll come right up to today and what's going on today. What was your take on what you saw? Uh, obviously, we heard a clip of the prime minister there uh, saying that if there's people in the protests that do not agree with the hatred that we're seeing, that they should uh, come forward and speak up. What was your take on what you saw? Um, how much of it was hatred? How much of it was protest?
1: Well, I should be very clear with you, I haven't been out in the protests, but we have had crews, so I, I want to be yeah. clear with people, I can I can see the protests from my home, yeah. because they're literally right underneath my condo building, uh, but I have not been able to wander out through the crowds. What the crews were telling me is that um, it was largely peaceful, as you saw, a, a lot of folks were there having a good time, but they're was a, a swastika flag uh, that was flying. There was a confederate flag that was flying. There were um, people calling uh, individuals on our cruise who had masks on commies. Um, there was certainly some some escalation towards our cruise in terms of verbal insults and verbal abuse. Uh, but as you know, it so far has been largely peaceful. There's been some pretty concerning events, however, including uh, businesses that have reported and posted video of people uh, people who are against the mask mandates coming in and demanding to be served while refusing to put a mask on. Um, of course, there was the individual who danced on the grave of the unknown soldier. People parked their cars on the National War Memorial. Some people urinated on the National War Memorial. Uh, and also the Shepherds of Good Hope, one of the homeless shelters here in the city, said that their staff were bullied into providing meals for people who traveled here with the convoy. Now, considering they raised more than $8 million on GoFundMe, uh, a lot of folks felt perhaps that should be where the food is coming from and not a homeless shelter. Um, So while most folks were out there and seemed to just be having a good time protesting, there's certainly concerns about, uh, fringe and radical extreme elements that are trying to attach themselves to this protest and trying to foment anger. And you see that in the whole range of demands, too. Uh, You have demands simply for COVID mandates to be lifted because people are sick of them, all the way up to people who say they won't leave the national capital until Justin Trudeau and the liberal government are no longer in power.
0: All right. So what about today? Obviously, there was a there was a, a protest on on the weekend and then many thought that they would disappear. Then there was social media started uh, carrying messages that this might drag on. What's the situation right now in Ottawa? Obviously, Parliament is back today.
1: Uh, right now, much of downtown is still located. Um I don't know if you can hear that truck horn in the background. <laughs> I am. Uh, several blocks from Parliament Hill, and I woke up this morning, it was still dark out, uh, and already the street was blockaded. Uh, and this is the case with a lot of north-south routes into Parliament Hill. They are just totally blocked off by trucks. Um, and it's made it very, very difficult to navigate the downtown. Uh, businesses here say that they are suffering, that they are closing down uh, because they're concerned. They're concerned about security. They're concerned about their clients not wanting to come in. And that that's having a real impact. Uh, people who live downtown have been listening to horns blaring um, very, very loudly. I mean, these are horns on 18-wheeler trucks, and some of them have train whistles. Uh, one in particular is keeps <laughs> <he studied laughs> doing circles around my place. Uh, and today has been uh, relatively quiet compared to the others where it was literally constant horn blowing at a very high decibel. So um, there's not a lot of sympathy in the downtown core at this point for people who live here. Uh, but these folks say that this is the only way they can be heard, that they are uh, protesting peacefully and that they they regret the inconvenience, but that this is what they have to do. I'm not really surprised the protest hasn't vanished. Um, these are folks, in some cases, who came from a long way away. Uh, you don't drive across the country for a one-day mm-hmm. protest. But obviously, this is also highly unusual. We are into day four now. Typically, a protest in Ottawa is one day and then smaller protests. I've never seen anything like this that shuts down the downtown core this far back, including Canada Day
0: that's interesting uh we had a reporter out when the convoy was passing through here and and he was saying you know he he talked to a lot of people who were fully vaccinated and and doing their part and what have you but just didn't feel it was right that we were vilifying the small percentage of the population that for whatever reason don't want to get vaccinated and we're all fully vaccinated i don't want to debate that here but is that coming out at all because again you're hearing about you know the nazi flag the the uh you know the confederate Flag and obviously the issues with the statues and memorials uh, and such. But are we painting everybody with the same brush? Are there are there other people there that want to be heard and should be heard?
1: Well, that's the problem when there's a fringe group that attaches, is that that is very concerning for the police and for others. I mean, I think we're very clearly reporting that this has been peaceful. Um, As far as we know, there was some sort of a security incident on Wellington today. I was told by police that a truck struck a police car uh, that was there as a barricade. But it's not really clear how that happened or what happened there. Uh, But for the most part... It's been peaceful. That said, there have been people who've had snowballs thrown into their face for wearing masks. Um, The fact that ambulances need a police escort to get through due to the traffic snarls and security Mm. concerns, Um, you know, I don't I haven't seen any evidence to suggest the vast majority of people are anything but frustrated and peaceful Um, but the issue is this is also having a very real impact on other folks which is what protesters want to do but it may not be the impact on the people who they intend it to be which would be the government officials or Justin Trudeau who is out at Harrington Lake he's not in downtown Ottawa
2: Um,
1: and I think that that's where you you see the frustration of folks who feel they're being painted that way and I've I've talked to lots of people um, some of whom I know from my personal life who went out there some who I know who can't stand it for my personal life. We all have friends with different opinions, um, yeah. and and they did not certainly endorse violence, um, and we haven't seen that. But that doesn't alleviate the concern about the rhetoric of some of the individuals who are involved. Uh, and that's the challenge with a very you know, diverse protests like this, where there aren't necessarily um, super clear leaders, but there are some leaders in this who have been involved in the radical right in their past, uh, including white nationalism. And that certainly has raised a concern. I don't think anyone is saying all of the protesters back that. Um, but when the organizers have expressed that kind of support in the past, it raises concerns about associating. On the other hand, if yeah. you don't listen to what people are saying, and if you don't talk to them, that just generates more resentment, too.
0: Mercedes Stevenson with us, Ottawa Bureau Chief for Global National. Make sure you're watching Global Tonight for more on all of this. Mercedes, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Stay safe. Thank you. You know, we've talked so much about uh, those that are unvaccinated. We don't seem to be celebrating how many are vaccinated uh and what is happening today and the fact that uh at least life is returning somewhat uh back to normal in a sense that today uh restaurants gyms and such open up to uh 50% capacity my son's excited he gets to play hockey uh, uh starting again this week so w- we really should be celebrating as opposed to uh, yelling and screaming at each other but that's a whole other story it is reopening day today in Ontario let's bring in Keenan Loomis uh, Keenan Loomis is the outgoing president of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce and of course Hamilton mayoral candidate and with us now Keenan thank you for the time I hope you're well
6: I am doing very well good afternoon Scott
0: uh, it seems to be overshadowed a bit because of the action that was happening over in Ottawa over the course of the weekend. But this is, uh, pretty significant in, I, th- I think on a couple of, uh, on a couple of fronts. Obviously, uh, businesses can now open up, uh, restaurants, indoor dining to up to 50% capacity. But even, uh, last week when, uh, there's a couple of key news conferences, Dr. Bonnie Henry in British Columbia, Uh, Ontario doctor, Dr. Uh, Keenan Moore, also said, Kieran Moore rather, also said that uh, it's time to live with this virus. It's time to uh, get vaccinated, do what we need to do, and then move on. It seems that we're changing our positioning. Are you getting the same feeling, Keenan, that the the attitude is shifting here?
6: Yeah, definitely. I think that uh, there's a heck of a lot of optimism out there, specifically among businesses who today are finally able to reopen, and we're back to where we were, you know, over the holidays and and before the holidays when things were starting to feel, uh, you know, somewhat normal again. So uh, there is a lot to celebrate today, even though it's uh, a January Monday and <laughs> and cold outside. <laughs> uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of pent up demand for uh, getting out there uh, tonight and and this week uh, to uh, your favorite restaurant or, or bar or what have you.
0: You bring up something interesting, Keenan, because I have heard that just anecdotally that, you know, people have actually made it a point of making a reservation on a Monday because they want to <laughs> to get out and do something. Whereas, you know, in past openings where there's been uh, the same sort of thing, people have been quite hesitant. You know, remember a lot of people said, oh, it's gonna be like the roaring 20s when things open up and people were still quite hesitant. Do you get the feeling that that's changed this time and people are and maybe it's because more and more of us have had it and they're and vaccinated and moved on, Um, we don't seem to be as frightened as we once were.
6: Yeah, I think that's part of it. You know, I, I haven't had it. I don't know how. Um, it it seems to be closing in all around me, but uh, it does seem like <laughs> everybody I know has. And and I guess that would give you uh you know an extra layer of protection, uh, almost like uh, getting a, a second booster. Um, but you know, the, the other part of it is that we've been through this before. Uh, you know, yeah. we've done the the lockdown thing before. We've come out of lockdown. I think this is now the third time, and uh, businesses have done this uh, now repeatedly. And so we all know the drill. And, uh, you know, I I think that, you know, obviously, hopefully this is the last variant that we have to deal with, but it might not be, it probably won't be. Um, But uh, I think that, you know, the familiarity of this gets to become a pattern and, um, you know, we, we are learning to live with it.
0: What are you hearing from members? What are you hearing uh, even now, the challenges that they face uh, on this day, on the 31st?
6: Yeah, well, I think it's time to get, back to you know thinking about what uh normal is going to look like again i mean this was a, a one month blip uh, as i said things were feeling so good as we were leading into the holidays before we yeah. even heard about uh you know this thing called omicron um so we can we can put ourselves back to uh to where we were then and obviously with uh spring uh on the horizon um it's only going to get better um obviously you know what was a, a big part of why omicron um you know uh, took the, a good deal of the population as it did was because you know it, it is january and we are inside primarily mm-hmm. and so i think that we can finally like i said get back to um, you know, thinking about what life is going to be post COVID and uh, 2022 should be a much better year than uh, 2021 or, or 2020 was. And obviously, you know, a, a bad January is not going to um, completely do in a, a business. Um, yeah. January's have always been known, notoriously mm-hmm. known for for being bad months. Um, so it, it really is about what comes next. And I think that there's a great deal of optimism. I, I, I went into a couple retail stores today and uh there were were a lot of smiles all around downtown hamilton
0: it does feel a little different this time keenan and i and i almost feel hesitant to say that because i don't want to jinx anything but it does feel a little different this time doesn't it
6: well this one was a short one uh you know and and so yeah um, you know i I did I, i went to the gym today and i and it wasn't like i was starting from scratch. You know, it was like, yeah. okay, I, I I I I'm not gonna be able to to lift exactly what I was uh, you know, a month ago. Yeah. But uh I think I'll be able to to ramp back up up and, and get to where I was in, in a couple of weeks. And I think that's, you know, just generally the case for for everybody, whether, you know, it's the gym or not, it's uh it's a it's a metaphor. Um it was a quick one and uh you know cases are dropping uh as we had predicted and uh I have a, a neighbor who is uh, an ICU doctor and he's been you know in in the spec uh multiple times over the last little bit and we walk our kids uh to to school in the morning and and he said hey i i'm ready and in the icus you know they they were not as inundated as they were in previous um you know previous waves and so he was ready and he if he gives the go ahead um you know i i feel completely uh free to be able to advocate for uh for reopening because it is the right thing to do
0: That is good news. Keenan Loomis with us, Hamilton mayoral candidate and outgoing president of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce as Ontario opens up and Hamilton is open for business.
6: Keenan, thanks for the time. Be well. Thanks, Scott. You as well.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. As we were talking about last week, uh, we heard uh, very much a change in the messaging from health officials, whether it was Dr. Kieran Moore in Ontario here or Dr. Bonnie Henry in, in, in British Columbia. And some of them, uh, and some got uh, a negative response for, for even saying this. But they said that it's time to, to live with this disease. We're fully vaccinated, or many of us, 90% of us are fully vaccinated and uh, therefore if get it uh, hopefully quite mild and and out the other end and uh, rather than locking down it, it's time to move on with this we've certainly heard uh, the premier echo that over the course uh, of the weekend what does that mean when we hear officials say those sorts of things
7: yeah so well the way I interpret it is that uh, at this stage of the pandemic I think we're sort of Given where what the current variant is and the way it's transmitted and and what we're seeing, it it seems like uh, we're getting to the sort of the end of what we call the pandemic stage and sort of moving into what they call the endemic stage. And so, so basically, what that is really saying is that we're in this transition phase where we we we're not ever going to get rid of the get rid of COVID, the the virus that transmits COVID. It's going to morph into something that we'll always have, and so we have to. Work out how do we manage that in a way that ensures that the healthcare system isn't overwhelmed, and uh, and, and and you know, and, and those measures are, are very similar to the measures that we've been using already. But but it, you know, it it really moves it into the same sort of sort of thought process and, and control control options that we say use for seasonal flu and, and other sort of respiratory viruses that that uh, are with us all the time. And so so I think that's the way we're sort of. We'll be starting to think about it and 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 that's the why Why i suppose they're using that term live learn to live with it because it's sort of saying it's not going to go away but it's going to be at a level like it's it's the way it's how it's how it infects people and and the impacts are going to be at a level that's going to be similar to other viruses that we we've in, in essence learned to live with
0: Uh, we're hearing that the prime minister has tested positive, uh, obviously before the weekend he had mentioned he was negative, but, uh, some family members, some kids had tested positive, although his wife had had it. Uh, quite a while ago, back at the the early stages of uh, this pandemic, when we hear of, because everybody knows somebody that's had it or or, or 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 has had it themselves and and gone through it. Now we're obviously hearing of of the prime minister. Uh, O'Toole has had it. The prime minister's wife obviously has had it. Does that make le- people less fearful? I mean, the prime minister was on TV today doing a virtual parliament, and you know he was fine for all intents and purposes um does this make people less fearful that they know there's people going in it and coming out in coming out of it and living to tell including the prime minister
7: mm. yeah i i definitely think that we should be at a point where where people sort of should like i think we need to still be cautious uh yeah. but i don't think we need to be at that sort of uh really concerned stage like as in, i think people need to be cautious and say yes let's do everything we can not to get this because we don't you know we're still at that stage where we don't really know what the potential longer term impacts are of getting it even if you have a a mild mild case of it and so because of that you know we 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 need to sort of try and do what we can to protect ourselves and protect others but we also shouldn't be I don't think as fearful as we were previously and so so and I think that's because of the you know the current variant and and then the newer variant that seems to be uh, taking over as as well. So so I think you know overall you know I definitely think we need to to uh, yeah be still be cautious but not uh, as as uh, sort of uh, you know really concerned and and sort of and and sort of in that sort of lockdown stage.
0: Uh, you talked about that other variant, which you know. Wow, do we want to bring that up now that we're that we're talking about now? But that being said, uh, it's there. What do we know about it? Uh, it, it, it? I hear it's highly transmissible but less dangerous, like this one. Is it? Is is that accurate?
7: Um, yeah, that, that's what that's what I'm hearing, and you know, and that's a good sign from the perspective that right. Uh, we, you know the 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 way the pandemics tend to work in you know based on history is that they they keep mutating and the variants become more more and more easily transmissible but but less deadly and 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 that's the that's what we're seeing at the moment uh, you know and so so from that perspective that's a good trajectory to be on.
0: Well said. Thomas Tenkate with us, professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health with Ryerson and talking about entering the uh, first stage of reopening and it lasts for 21 days. Tom, thanks
7: for the time. Be well. Uh, You too. Thanks very much for having me again. We
0: have certainly seen what has happened over uh, the course of the weekend in regard to the freedom convoy or protest, whatever you want to call it. And it's been fascinating watching different politicians uh, sort of give you their take on it and, and and where they stand with all of this. Let's bring in Daniel Perry, consultant Summa Strategies and with us now. Daniel, thanks for the time. I hope you're well.
8: Thank you. I hope you're doing well as well.
0: Let's talk about the politics of this protest, uh, and you know, as far as reaction from the politicians, whether it's uh, the Prime minister or opposition, and, and what's to win and what's to lose here the The prime minister uh, even at this stage is, is seeming to paint most with the same brush and saying, if you're not with the same brush, then it's up to you to come out and speak out against these people. um should he should he be painting the protest with? the same brush, the protesters. Um, What do you think of that strategy?
8: That's really been a strategy since the beginning of the pandemic. He's been very clear since day one that you're either going to get vaccinated or that you're a bad Canadian. And to be frank with you, that's probably not the best approach. That's probably what has led to the frustration of, Thousands of people coming to Ottawa to protest it, and that's not to condone the protest. I think there are a lot of issues with the protest, but I think it really highlights the frustration that Canadians are feeling, especially towards this government, for not listening to their needs. Is
0: he doing enough to cool the temperature?
8: Uh, I, if you come to Ottawa, I think if you just walk around, uh, your answer would be no, and I think it's a he's in a really hard spot because unless he backs down on his vaccine mandate which he won't i don't think the protesters are going to go away until the money runs out so it might be some time that being
0: said if this goes off the rails does it not play into his hands more than the others
8: I think it's already kind of gone off the rails a little bit. I don't think anytime you see Nazi symbols um, or people peeing in the streets or peeing on the war memorial or defacing Canadian heroes is a good sign. I think it's a bad sign for all Canadians that this is happening. It's really making us look bad on the world stage.
0: I really have a hard. This is upsetting me, Daniel, because we should be patting each other on the back for the the, the massive vaccination rate that we do have. We've got some of the highest vaccination rates uh, in the world. And instead of of celebrating that 90 percent, we're vilifying 10 percent because they don't agree with us.
8: And I couldn't agree more. I think it's a little bit ironic because some of these same truck drivers were probably the ones driving the vaccines from the airport and whatnot to get it to pharmacies to get into people's arms. So I think we really need to focus on our healthcare workers and our healthcare system. This really is a distraction for the government where they're able to sidestep the real issues that Canadians are facing, such as the inability to access rapid testing, uh, to discuss our long-term care crisis, as well as looking at our healthcare system and seeing how it's crumbling right in front of us.
0: Daniel, you're the first person that's come on on here and clearly stated that. And I've been hammering at this (laughs) for at least the last two months, that this is nothing but a distraction. We're not running from COVID anymore, we're running from a crumbling healthcare system that has been neglected for years and the healthcare workers are screaming for help and nobody's listening. Instead, we're listening to these people. Is this a distraction technique?
8: It's exactly a distraction technique. It's something the government wants to kind of have a bit of a smokescreen so they can kind of operate in the background. Today, they introduced some legislation to help get rapid testing more available. But at the end of the day, that's kind of a band-aid fix to a problem that really is not going away anytime soon. For years, those in the medical profession have been saying that our hospital system is underfunded. We need support. Look, even in Ontario, how long have we listened to provincial politicians railing about hallway health care? As long as I've been on this planet, it seems. And it's something that's not going away. And it's a conversation we have to have. And at the end of the day, it's a very expensive conversation. But I think when it comes to people's health and make sure people are able to live a long, prosperous life, it's one we should be having.
0: And, and as you said, is not going away as uh, the demographics and, and the older population grow. Um, What about the other leaders? Uh, O'Toole's stance on this, he said that he was going to meet with them. Man, I remember even hearing one reporter saying, how dare you meet with these people? Uh, and he said, well, I want to meet with the good ones, not the bad ones. What about his approach to this?
8: I think Mr. O'Toole has done a calculation in his head as he looks around the room, the caucus room, and has seen that it appears that most of people, most conservatives, at least he's seeing, support this. And as he's facing a leadership review and some might even say a leadership crisis, he needs all the support he can get. I think last Monday he gave a press conference where his answer if he supported truckers or not wasn't the most clear. And I think he was struggling internally with that. But I think for his political future, he understands that he has to back the truckers right or wrong if he wants to stay on to be leader in the next election.
0: What about Jugmeet Singh in all of this? He hasn't been too vocal but has spoken up certainly uh, ab- about the the flags and such that were there and, and the
8: behavior. But what about what does he need to do here? I think he made the right statement talking about those flags. Those flags were despicable and not, there's no place in Canada for that. I think Mr. Singh, he's just kind of letting this be a fight between the Conservatives and the Liberals just because he doesn't see a big political win on his end for this because the Liberals are doing a good job WWE style beating the Conservatives over the head with like a chair.
0: Where do you see this going? Is this a turning point? I mean, I, I, I kind of felt that the holidays were a turning point in, in the sense that we were locked down again, but then everybody got it or knew somebody that was getting it. And now uh, the Angus Reid poll that's out today said the, majorities wanna, the majority of Canadians want us to manage our own health and, and move on with this. Is, is, are we at a turning point here?
8: Honestly, it's really hard to say. I think there is light at the end of the tunnel. But I've said that for the past two years, it seems yeah, that it's yeah. coming to an end. Um, I really hope for everyone's sake that we can turn the page on COVID this year and focus on issues that really matter to Canadians and that we can get past the what seems like Groundhog Day every day of talking about COVID.
0: Daniel Perry with his consultant Summa Strategies, talking about reaction in Ottawa of the political protests that are going on from uh, all the leaders. Daniel, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. You too. Take care. When there's an issue, Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton today with Scott Thompson on Hamilton's news. Today's talk 900. CXM. We should be celebrating that as we should be celebrating opening up today. Go out and uh, be far, part of the 50% capacity in uh, your local restaurant. And instead we're, or even a gym, go to the gym or, or go watch your kids play hockey. My kid gets to play hockey this week. Uh, instead, we're yelling like do we honestly think we're going to get everybody vaccinated why do we why do we create this divisiveness and is everybody that showed up in in Ottawa are they all a bunch of hooligans we certainly know what happened we saw the bad behavior it's disgusting there's that fringe element in every rally or protest like this but is that what they're all like um are they all misogynistic? Are they all racist as the Prime Minister said on a French uh, language uh, radio station? And why not just call them deplorables like Hillary Clinton did? And you know, I, I, I don't understand we're not in a better why we're not in a better place considering we are in a better place. Let's bring in Henry Jasek, Professor of Political Science at McMaster University. He's with us now. Henry, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, yes, indeed. So what are your thoughts on what you saw transpire over the weekend?
9: Well, I I think it was interesting. I just think we have people who are very frustrated by the two, no, the two now, we're going into the third year of the COVID virus and all the various inconvenience and uh, things that, that that are associated with them. And it's the middle of winter, and just a lot of people are just feeling, oh, my God, I've wasted two years of my life on this thing. So I think these people are angry. I mean, they may not necessarily say what really is bothering them, but they're un- uh, angry and unhappy, and I can well understand it, because I think most of us, you know, have been pretty unhappy with the last two years, and some people are a lot more unhappy. But it doesn't, yeah, and so this is emotionally they need to... You know, uh, ha- have somebody to attack, and then this is true no matter what side you are. You, if you want, you know, if you want to really plumble, you know, the the people who don't get a vaccination, as you point out, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be beaten up on those people. I mean, you should try to talk to them, but I mean, you mm-hmm. shouldn't try to you know beat them up. But on the other hand, you know, they, um, you know, the people who you know who don't want uh, don't want to do all these things to, to get us out of it. You know then... We know they have to they have to be more reasonable as well. So you're, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of positives. We should focus on the positives in our country, I think, right now. And I think it's, things are it gonna seems get better this year.
0: It seems that the 10 percent that aren't vaccinated are now becoming the scapegoat for everything. Um, you know, again, people uh, attitudes have changed. We talked to uh, we talked about an Angus Reid poll earlier on over 50 percent of people say it's time to move on, ease restrictions and manage our own mm-hmm. uh, health and such. And yet we're you know, we're we're listening to arguments. We're listening to, um, you know, politicians that seem to divide more than. Uh, y- unite. Let's talk about each individual leader here. Start with the prime minister. Mm-hmm. Is he doing enough here to to unite as opposed to divide?
9: Well, yeah, I mean, it was pretty harsh what he had to say about the protesters. Um, I, I mean, I can understand they've got under his skin, I think, number one, because they've really attacked him. And I think it's really bothered him. And, and we see that. But I also wonder if he's not using this to sort of as a wedge against the uh, you know the leader of the conservative party and uh, he knows that basically you know the majority of the of the population as you pointed out want to do you know let you know have the restrictions uh, you know be taken off of us but at the same time they don't you know they don't really also like the people who are fighting against uh, some of these restrictions especially any anything that really pushes people to get the vaccine so I think he's just using it to to, to essentially, uh, you know, to attack the conservatives and their leadership. And I, I think that's part of it. So he, he's got a couple it's, of it reasons seemed- why he's unhappy, I think.
0: It seems that, you know, if there's 10 people in a room, there's nine of us beating up on the one person that isn't vaccinated. And I'm not sure what that solves. Uh, what about O'Toole's response here? Because O'Toole said that he was going to meet with the ones that were nonviolent and that weren't, mm. you know, creating that yeah. weren't creating the fringe element and such. And, you know, I remember even listening to one reporter on Friday say, how dare how can you possibly meet with these people? And again, just assuming that they're all the same, mm-hmm. uh what about his response to all of this? yeah, O'Toole's. I mean, he's
9: trying to go down the middle I mean he's trying yeah. to say you know he he doesn't want to defend the uh, all the- th- you know the things we don't like that's been going on up there at the same time he doesn't want to say you know the you know, these protesters don't have a, a point and we shouldn't listen to them and hear their grievances. I mean, all, all people in government should hear when people have grievances. So he's trying to go down the middle. And that is a tough road to go because you got everybody beating up on you from both sides. But, uh, yeah, so he's trying to do that. And, I mean, I notice, you know, uh, what, one of the things that I don't know if I was surprised about it was a little different, but I mean, um, Ford's uh, you know Premier Ford has really you know gone up. Said some strong words about these protesters as well. Now we understand he's got three months to go to an election. So and he I'm sure he knows where the uh, Ontario people lie. I mean people in Ontario uh, more than in, than you know maybe out west really really are more much more in favor of a stricter uh, you know strict uh, measures to deal with the virus so if you you took out the western people i'm sure it'd be less than the majority but i think ford knows you know knows what he has to do but i was surprised he came out so strong but i he had said something what about Jugmeet singh well yeah
0: what, what about the ndp leader jagmeet singh on, well, he, on this he, is he his, sort the, of been yeah. letting the conservatives and liberals duke it out
9: no no, no yeah well what he's, his line is that basically and he said this a number of times they should go home. That's all he said. He hasn't said yeah. negative things about him. He's he sort of saying, okay, we, you know, we heard you, now go home, okay? Because he knows you know, the government's not going to do anything those people want. And he, just, you know, he knows the people in Ottawa are very inconvenienced by all the problems. So he, that's his line. Go home. You know, and there's some others. I mean, the Mayor of, Watson, Jim, uh, it's Mayor of Ottawa, Jim Watson, he's saying pretty much the same thing. Okay, you've been here, this is the fourth day already. We know, we know we've heard you. Now go home. If you've done your uh, program, The Prime Minister...
0: The Prime Minister announced last week that members of his family had tested positive. He was still negative but came out as testing positive today. Mm-hmm. He was uh, virtually in the House of Commons today uh, debating and such. He says he feels fine. Yeah. Does that change the discussion? Can you st- keep ramping up the rhetoric when people are getting it and coming out the other end and and are feeling fine just as he is?
9: Yeah, well, we, we know what we do know, Kurt, if people have the three shots, including the booster, you're, you may get it, but you'll probably be asymptomatic. You're, you're really, and if you mm-hmm. do get any symptoms, they're going to be very, very minor, because the booster is so strong in terms of, and then the uh, of preventing any any serious illness. So a lot of people are getting that, and uh, they're feeling they're coming out of it feeling fine. And I think that's probably why a lot of people say, oh, you can. You know, let's let, drop the restrictions because, you know, yeah. we, if we have our three shots, we're not going to really be all that sick. So, um, you know, that, that's I can understand why, why people are making that posi- taking that position.
0: Henry Jasik with us, professor of political science, McMaster University. Henry, as always, thanks
9: for the time. Be well. OK, same to you, Scott.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton
5: Today podcast
0: from 900 CHML.
5: Hello, Scott. I hope you're doing well. You know what, Scott? We can't be doing any possibly better on a Monday than we are right now, can we? I,
0: I feel the same way considering, you know, we're reopening and there's, I know lots of people that, you know, uh, wanted to go out and, and make a reservation on a Monday night just to get out and, and be a part of this, which is, I think we're in a different place than we were uh, a few months ago or openings ago or, or what have you. I, I really think people are, uh, are going to embrace this.
5: I hope so, and I hope that we are not uh, having someone tell us
0: to go backwards
5: five weeks down the road. Hey, you know what? Time to go back into lockdown again (laughs) because uh, I I do believe that we may have reached the point where people will just say, "Stuff it!" No, thanks.
0: Yeah, uh, all right. I don't want to talk about the convoy because we've talked about it all day. Uh, So let's talk about uh, soccer. Uh, Some uh, fans, like literally coming from all over the place to come and see this in Hamilton and, of course, uh, uh, Team Canada winning, beating uh, the United States. What does this win mean for the Canadian team?
5: Well, look, um, you're old enough. Many people listening will be old enough. Uh, to remember the last time Canada went to the World Cup, which was 1986. Mm. But there's a lot of people listening and a lot of people in this city who have never been alive to see anything but a men's soccer team from this country that would have a tough time beating the Vatican Swiss Guard team. (laughs) Um, You know, like, we have been awful for a long time. We have been truly abysmal. And... You know, Good for the women for leading the way, because back in London in 2012, remember they had Mm -hmm. that run at the Olympics, and all of a sudden people went, oh, wait, we have a soccer team that can win. And they did it again, and they did it again, and they won the gold in the last Olympics, and it was all great, but still our men sucked, quite honestly, to put it not too delicately. Uh, And now all of a sudden, and we'll say out of the blue, I mean, there's been work going on behind the scenes, but for all intents and purposes, out of the blue, we're not only undefeated in the qualification system that is supposed to be devastating that nobody can survive, but we beat the Americans for the first time in, I think, 40 years. And all of—and and that was without probably our two best players on the field. So suddenly, um, you know, and we're going to talk about this on my show tonight, suddenly everyone's a soccer fan. Funny yeah. how that works, isn't it? When you finally put a good product on the field, everyone wants to be a part of it.
0: That's the secret. I always wondering what the secret of a successful sports franchise yeah. or a team well, that is. That helps.
5: That helps. Winning no, seems was, to. Winning winning does and and here's the thing. So, I mean, soccer is one of those sports uh, you know, there's a lot of people obviously who love the game, but there's an awful lot of people too who will go because in a big soccer crowd, the atmosphere is as much fun as what's going on on the field. The singing and the ja- dancing yeah, and the jumping yeah. and the flags and the smoke bombs and everything else. And you know what though the, that stuff just doesn't really work well when you're losing 5 nothing no, to a bad team. No, no. You've got to be doing well and all of a sudden the whole thing, the whole package becomes great.
0: So what's next for this team?
5: Well, they still have to qualify for the World Cup, but I mean at this point um it would almost require the entire team to suffer a season-ending groin injury simultaneously for them not to get in. I mean, they are, like, put your finger and thumb a millimeter apart. They are that close yeah. to qualifying. And that is, as I say, all, almost, when you consider where we've been, almost miraculous. And then it's off uh, to the World Cup in Qatar, and, or Qatar, depending on how you want to say it. And, and that's when, see, here's the thing. Um, a lot of people leading up to yesterday's game we're saying, yeah, you know what? They're really good. They're great. I'm glad I'm watching them. Um, but there was always a little asterisk, or even though they were doing so well. Well, who are we beating? Yeah. And you know, if we get to the World Cup, are we going to get obliterated by Germany or Uruguay or Brazil or? Whoever? You know what? They beat the States, and as I say, they beat the States without our two best players. I think yesterday made some people finally say, you know what? If we get to the World Cup, we're not going to win the World Cup. But we actually might be able to be really competitive in the World Cup, which would be a double miracle, which would be even better. Because even if you get there, there would be something painful about arriving. And then, like last time in 86, Canada never even scored a goal. Yeah. And so <laughs> let's get there and be competitive. Oh, man, now, now you're on to something. Who's
0: on the show tonight?
5: Uh, what are we talking about? We're talking about a new Angus Reid poll, which goes to what you were just talking about, about people yeah, not wanting to I get locked that. down again. Yep. Over half the well, I don't want to give away the numbers, but let's just say people don't want to be locked in their house anymore. Let's just put it that way. And,
0: and want to manage their
5: own health. Yes. Let's let, let let people finally make some decisions for themselves. That's the answer to this poll. Uh, we're also going to be talking a little bit, not, not all the time, but a little about the convoy and... Uh, and lots about other stuff later. Don Robertson, in, as he always is on Monday nights for the second hour, talking some sports, so we'll do that.
0: Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, coming up after the 6 o'clock news, and you can read him in your Hamilton Spectator. Have a great night, Scott. Thanks for the time. Thank you, Scott. 556, that's a wrap for us. Thanks for listening. It's always greatly appreciated. Thanks to the two Wills for producing, as well as Lisa Poleski in the newsroom. As always, we leave it to you, the great CHML listener. To have the last word,
7: I heard a, uh, a guest on Roy Green's show
5: yesterday that uh, lives in the UK, and where all the mandates for the masks have been lifted, and she said she went shopping, and the majority of people that were in shopping all were wearing masks. So I think it's time to let the people decide if uh, we don't have all the we'll have all this divisiveness because there's people on both sides of the fence. We got to eliminate the fence. We know what we have to do. We've been doing it. We gotta carry on and live our lives. Unite, Canadians!
0: We gotta unite!